They objected to his electoral college vote. Now our area senators taking selfies at the inauguration. Even our mayor snacks a seat. We track how change in Washington may change things here. Plus begging for the vaccine, frustration and anger over a coveted dose. Vaccine supplies are just extremely limited. And at a time of great change, could there be a name change at the Nelson? And what's the holdup? Why Kansas City is still struggling to find a way to honor King. Those stories and more straight ahead on Week in Review. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Horley, Haas and Wilkerson Insurance, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello and welcome, I'm Nick Haynes. Definitely no shortage of news to report this week. The biggest challenge, of course, is fitting it all inside 30 minutes. So we're asking our news reviewers to talk faster than normal and to be even more pithy with their insights. Is that even possible? Checking in with us on the big screen from KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo from the investigation unit at 41 Action News, Kat Reed, from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling, and from the city's 100-year-old African-American newspaper, the Call, editor Eric Wesson. Now, America has a new leader this week, and the swearing-in of Joe Biden as president of the United States also dominated our local newscasts in Kansas City. More than 1,000 people from our area were in Washington as Joe Biden became the nation's new president. Most of those were members of the Kansas and Missouri National Guard, but nearly every member of our bi-state delegation showed up, too. Even though they had objected to his electoral college vote, our area senators taking selfies at the inauguration. Four years ago, nearly 70 Democrats in Congress boycotted the swearing-in of President Trump. So what kind of signal does it send that Hawley and Marshall and almost every member of our bi-state delegation, with the exception, by the way, of Vicki Hartzler, decided to be there, Pete? I think it sends that people are trying to move past January 6th and realize that Joe Biden is the president. And uh, there are obviously millions of Americans that wish it would have turned out differently. But He's the president, and uh, that's not changing. It's been that way for a few weeks, and you know it was good to see everybody there who uh, who was able to be there. So I think it's just a, a sense of saying, hey, this is the reality, like it or not, let's go. So we're finally achieving unity and harmony, Kat Reed? I think that that is going to take some more time to rebuild some of the relationships. But I did want to point out quickly that uh, Representative Hartzler, she did not attend, but uh, did not give a reason as to why she wasn't attending. She did release a statement, though, recognizing President Biden and saying that he's promised to be a president for all Americans and that she's going to hold him to that. I did notice this week, uh, Dave Helling, that Josh Hawley singularly blocked the swift confirmation of uh, President Biden's choice for Homeland Security. He and uh, Roger Marshall were one of 10 senators who also voted against uh, the director of national intelligence. So there's still some conflict taking place there between the current president and our bi-state delegation. No question, particularly Josh Hawley and uh, Roger Marshall. Uh, Senator Marshall is just getting his feet under him, so he may get a bit of a pass. But Josh Hawley's future, Nick, is fascinating. Because I think not only is, does he face concerns from Democrats in the Senate, but even some of his Republican colleagues 
uh, are unhappy with his uh, comportment, if you will, over the last couple of weeks. And so we'll have to watch carefully. Which committees does he end up on? Which bills get heard? Uh, is he, will he be more interested in sort of aligning himself with the Mike Lee, uh, Ted Cruz, uh, you know, potential presidential candidate caucus, or will he try to get some things done? I think Josh Hall, and, and then there's the picture, which we've talked about before. So I think the next six months are going to be critical for Josh Hawley, and it'll be fascinating to see how his colleagues in the Senate react. Eric, this was a good news, bad news week for Josh Hawley. On the one hand, uh, a new publisher steps forward to say they're going to publish his book for him after Simon & Schuster drops it. And then we have all these attorneys now saying they want to strip him of his law license. Well, they're doing the same with Ted Cruz, of course. But does that have any chance, really, of going anywhere? No. Uh, it, it looks good. It's good posturing. But he hasn't done anything to violate any canon rules that would result in his license getting stripped. Uh, and, and you have to steal money from clients, lie to the courts. They don't usually get involved in political positions. And Josh Hawley's uh, position now is clearly political. Uh, People can't start lining up to run against him. I think right now, today, he's vulnerable. But in four years from now, I don't know if he's going to be. And it depends on what committees he gets put into. You know, amid security concerns this week, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly closed down state office buildings on Inauguration Day. And the Kansas State House was actually off limits to the public for the entire week. There were extra security measures in place at the Capitol building in Jefferson City. And City Hall in Kansas City was shut down amid security concerns, too. Um, Pete Mundo, what did they expect to happen? I was looking on the Kansas side. There was, I was looking at some video. There was just one man protesting outside the state Capitol building saying, what happened to everybody? Well, I, I think you should ask that that individual that because I, you know obviously what took place on January sixth was was horrific in every level, um, and there were obviously some concerns about what could be happening at some state capitals. I, I do think some of that was overblown, and you saw that play out. There was one guy out there in Topeka; he's wondering where everybody was. I would be wondering uh, who he thought he was following there, uh, to be frank. So, I mean, safety first. I understand all of that, but. Um, uh, you know, I'm all about doing that first, but it seemed to me like some of that was taken out of context in some way, shape, and form. Why did they close down City Hall downtown, Kat? Well, it was also part of the, the concern about security. I, I think that they considered that, but also in addition, committee chairs had the decision if they wanted to cancel their meetings and the mayor was not going to be there because he was going to the inauguration. So I think it was kind of a combination of factors, maybe less so security and just they did have the discretion as committee chairs if they wanted to cancel. And I know a lot of people wanted to watch the inauguration. Yeah, as uh... Cat uh, Reed points out the mayor was going to be in Washington. He accepted an invitation, by the way, to be there uh, as part of a guest of Missouri Senator Roy Blunt. Some commentators claimed Lucas was in D.C. to schmooze and try to win influence with the new Biden administration. If that's the case, Eric, what does Lucas want from the Biden White House? You know, it's kind of hard to say what, what he wants uh, for the community. A lot of people think he was there smoozing, as you said, uh, to get ready to run for a congressional seat, maybe, or something along those lines. But if he was there for the community, I think housing would be a, one of the front runner conversations that he has since Kansas City has a very serious housing problem. So I think he would be trying to connect with Hood, the president, 
uh, through Congressman Cleaver to get some money in Kansas City for low income and affordable housing. And by the way, you just saw one of those pictures of um, the mayor, and he was next to Mayor Pete, now Transportation Secretary Dave Helling under uh, Joe Biden. Right, and so transportation money uh, for the streetcar, for buses, that's always at the top of any mayor's agenda. But, uh, Nick, what uh, uh, Quentin Lucas wants is cash, cold, hard cash. We all want cash. That's exactly but we right. There. Because, like most cities, Kansas City is running a serious. The mayor told us this week it may be close to $70 million deficit in the next year's budget because of COVID related uh, problems. So I'm sure he's there to argue for more money. He put out a statement with other mayors saying that the uh, COVID stimulus package should have uh, some money in it for direct payments to cities, not this sort of pass through that we went through in 2020, which was so frustrating. Can I just take 10 seconds, by the way? We should tip our caps to Roy Blunt. You mentioned the other senators. Roy Blunt was one of the senators in charge of the inaugural uh, ceremonies. He, he was outstanding. His remarks were right on. Uh, he was gracious. Uh, I think, uh, you know, for all the criticism we lob sometimes at our senators, Roy Blunt, as I say, deserves the tip of the cap. Did you want 10 seconds too, Kent? <laughs> oh, I just wanted to quickly say Dave hit it uh, right, hit the point that the issue is cash, uh, COVID relief, as we are seeing our city budgets just absolutely decimated. I think every mayor in the United States is looking for that same thing. No, I mentioned that around 1,000 Kansas and Missouri National Guard troops were at the inauguration, but there were also nearly 50 members of the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department who were asked to assist. That news comes as Police Chief Rick Smith informs Mayor Lucas that at least one member of the department was at the Trump rally on the day the Capitol was stormed. If they never broke through barriers, though, to penetrate government buildings. Is there anything unlawful about a Kansas City police officer being at the rally as a private citizen, Eric? No, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's, it's just, it was a bad optic to be a part of that. And what side was he there for, to cover? Was he there as the nonviolent protesters or was he there with the violent protesters? So, or the terrorists as they've been called. But I'm just going to back up to one thing. One of the things that we talked about, about the mayor, and I mentioned this last week, was streetcar money. At some point in time in Kansas City, that streetcar is going to have to go east and west. So maybe he was there trying to make that connection as well. But uh, as far as the police being there, I think one of the emails they sent out said, hey, if anybody's had any pictures of a police officer from Kansas City, Missouri, doing something that wasn't right, show us that picture. Give us a, a description of what it was, and they'll take care of it from there. There is no evidence at this point, uh, Pete Mundo, that that officer, he or she, went inside of the Capitol building during that rally. Um, but is it bad optics, as Eric points out? Uh, no, because there's no way of knowing why the individual was there. I mean, we're assuming everybody was there for the same reason, to go to the Capitol and storm it. And I know people who are there. They were simply there to hear the president um, speak to that big of a crowd for the last time as the president. There was no intention for them on stopping the steal or anything like that. Without knowing the motives of why somebody was there and having no information on who the person is or what they did, uh, this kind of seems like a witch hunt for some in Kansas City to identify this person. It doesn't seem right to me. If they broke the law, then different story. They shouldn't be serving the community. But there's not an ounce of evidence yet to point to on that to, uh, to justify such a claim. 
Wednesday was also moving day for President Trump. He departed Washington to take up residence at his Mar-a-Lago, Florida estate, where he will begin his post-presidency. A Missouri lawmaker has introduced a bill to name a highway after the outgoing president. Republican House member Mary Elizabeth Coleman wants to rename a portion of I-55 just south of St. Louis after him. Given that Republicans control every branch of government in Missouri, is that a slam dunk, Dave Helling? Uh, could be. I mean, uh, this is happening in other states, by the way, Nick. There will be an effort to name things for the former president and recognize his service. And, uh, you know, it, th those efforts will uh, be controversial, but they'll probably go forward. We have everything, you know, every president in this country uh, has something named for him. So uh, I, I don't think this is going to be a huge fight. The legacy of Donald Trump is another matter, and we will be arguing about that for a while. Kat Reed, I did notice that there was a bill going through Congress or trying to be introduced in Congress that would actually ban virtually everything, quote, even a bench from bearing President Trump's name. That's from a California Democratic House member. So um, this would fall at odds with that, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, but I'm just not sure if that's going to move forward on the congressional level. There's a lot of important legislation to be done. And if people are talking about um, unifying, I don't know if that's the kind of legislation that they're going to pursue. It kind of remains to be seen. Now, I know by even mentioning President Trump's name, we've lost at least one viewer. Linda wrote to me this week to say, after tomorrow, please do not cover anything about President Trump unless he's going to the hospital, jail, or the White House in the sky. I will immediately change stations. I'm assuming, Pete Mando, we can't please everyone in the media. I would say she should probably not listen to my show, but uh, that's another story. T t to your point, though, Nick, I mean, the whole idea of... Um, of naming streets, which we've had this conversation here in Kansas City, right? Uh, what, what we should name, what we shouldn't name when it comes to streets. I, this is not to me something that is probably going to get done, but whether it's here in Kansas City or it's highways on the St. Louis side of the state, uh, the, our legislatures have a lot of work to do. There's a lot on their plate. I think that naming streets and highways can can be put on the back burner for a little bit. So, so quickly, Nick, throw in, I, I th everyone is right about this, but Next week, the Senate may take up the impeachment of the president, the former president, which may or may not be constitutional. You know, the idea that we can just sweep Donald Trump under the rug uh, in the immediate future seems very problematic to me. And it does appear to me as well that Republicans particularly will have to come to grips with what he has meant for the party and whether he is the way forward or whether he was an aberration and will move back to a, a more traditional Republican party as we understand. And we haven't mentioned uh, Eric West and Kansas City's bid to host his presidential library. <laughs> I have. Absolutely no time. It's okay. too cold here for that. All right. Next up. Eric sponsoring it. All right. Next up on Weekend Review, amid all the hope that a new vaccine would ease our woes, the distribution of the shot is causing deep divisions this week. Let's start in Missouri, where the state is now offering the COVID shot to residents 65 and older and those with chronic health conditions. The only problem is they're struggling to get their hands on the vaccine. Vaccine supplies are just extremely limited. A warning at the top of the state's official website is making it clear many vaccination centers are still awaiting supplies from the federal government. Meanwhile, in Johnson County, the Shawnee Mission Post reports officials are begging the state for more vaccines with claims they are still not able to inoculate most of its health care workers. Elsewhere in Kansas, a county health department attracts national news after its entire nursing staff refused to vaccinate people, claiming concerns about possible health effects. 
And in Wyandotte County, a Fox 4 News investigation reveals how residents are pretending to be health workers to jump the line. Many of them were young and healthy and cutting in front of those most at risk. According to our whistleblower, on just a single day last week, 30 people arrived. Okay, we in the media can have the habit, of course, of making things sound a whole lot worse than they really are. Are these an unrepresentative sample of what's actually going on? Or are they signs that deeper problems are ahead, Kat Reed? I do not think they're unrepresentative. We are hearing about issues all over the country, um, people trying to jump the line to get the vaccine, issues with distribution. The one thing that seems a little bit less common um, is in Coffee County, the fact that the nurses will not be administering the vaccine and the county's going to have to pay to hire on other nurses to do it. I think that's a little bit less common across the country, but these are problems that are widespread and there is some hope and some optimism that with a new administration and a new vaccine, vaccine plan, perhaps some of these issues will be resolved. Um, President Biden has said that in his first 100 days, they want to get 100 million shots. Uh, so I think that's going to be a really big challenge. And we're just going to have to see how some of the steps that the president is taking are going to play out. Is part of the problem also, Dave Helling, just like when we had masks and government uh, uh, business shutdowns, uh, that it depended on where you're living. And is that the case here too? Because it's happening at such a local level. We have in Bonner Springs, for instance, all the teachers I see are now getting the vaccine, whereas most other places around the metro, you cannot do that. Missouri now giving 65-year-olds and those with chronic conditions, yet on the Kansas side, only people over 65 are now getting it. Right, right. No, um, you know, th that was by design, Nick. Uh, the, the federal government said, hey, look, we'll will uh, uh, help uh, subsidize the development of the vaccine, but the distribution uh, will be done by states, and each state is doing it differently, and no state really appears to be doing it well, some better than others. Kansas and Missouri are particular problems. We are not in this country ready for a mass vaccination uh, effort. We're just not. It's just not something that's in the political DNA of this uh, nation to give everyone a shot at once. The biggest problem appears to be supply, and until that gets rectified, it's going to be a scramble like you just reported. Is that the biggest problem you hear from your listeners, Pete Mundo? Uh, yeah, and, and even uh, Governor Kelly cited this as well, talking about phase two, rolling it out this week, which is, uh, you know, seniors 65 and over in some congregated living situations. I think she said that they would get next week 45,000 of the first doses when there's a million people that fit into that phase two category. So you're talking about less than 5%. Uh, it's a supply issue. I read that Amazon offered to help uh, the current administration try to expedite this process. And I don't care who does it, but um, obviously time is of the essence. Kat. Yeah, just a couple of quick uh, things to add there. Uh, CNN was reporting today that uh, the Trump administration did not leave a vaccine distribution plan. And that was something that the Biden administration was very surprised by during the transition. So they kind of had to start from scratch on all of that. Uh, and then I also wanted to mention that President Biden says that he is going to use the Defense Production Act to ramp up supply and some of the uh, supplies that are associated with vaccines and uh, getting them into people's arms like this syringes themselves and the PPE that healthcare workers have to wear to administer them. So I'm sure we'll find out more about some of the other steps in the days to come. Okay, we had the inauguration this week. We were also remembering and honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That was a day off for many of us this week. It's now been 53 years since the civil rights leader was assassinated on a motel balcony in Memphis, Tennessee. While Dr. King remains one of the nation's most celebrated leaders, Kansas City is still struggling to find a way to honor him more than a year after 
after Kansas Cityans voted to remove his name from an historic street. There is still no consensus on what should happen now. A proposal to rename Swope Parkway, Volker Drive, and Blue Parkway after King has yet to win approval. So what is the holdup, Eric Wesson? Well, some of the businesses on uh, Swope Parkway, uh, Swope Health Services, the shops on Blue Parkway have already been branded. And one of the things about Swope Health Services is if they change the address, then that means they would have to change all of their licensing addresses. And it's a lot of doctors, it's a lot of licensing going on there. And I think that there's just not the will within the community to do it outside of several civil rights organizations. But one of the things that they did do, Patrick Mahomes put some money behind it. I think they did did clean up MLK Park uh, over there on Brush Creek that very few people know exist. Uh, I think there was some efforts to do that. But I just don't think after 53 years that there's a lot of uh, zeal, and especially after the name change, when they took the name off of Paseo. There's just not a lot of spirit there. One, one, one other thing, there is the movement underway now to go back to naming the airport after Dr. King. I think uh, Pat Clark and a group started a new petition drive to do that. Cat. Yeah, and I also, you know, a thing that the Parks Board mentioned was that they have these public listening sessions and there wasn't much input from the public, partially because that started right around the time of COVID. So people weren't really going to public listening sessions and they said they really want to get more feedback. So there are more listening sessions that are going to be held. The Parks Board says they want to move on that by um, the first, by the end of the first half of the year. So we, we could see a decision, but of course the Parks Board only has control over parks, boulevards, parkways, so they can't name anything after uh, Dr. King. Well, many of you have great ideas for how to move forward. Longtime viewer Scott writes, my idea would be to name I-435 after Dr. King. It could be a bi-state project. There wouldn't really need to be any signs to replace Eric. Just add signs along 435 itself. Also, it wouldn't affect anybody's businesses. Is the city still interested in hearing ideas like this one? You know, we uh, we had the listening tour when uh, Mayor Sly James was the mayor, and we went all over the city, and there wasn't a lot of groundswell of people attending. We did have decent attendance, but there wasn't a lot. Uh, you know, I, again, I just, after 50 years, I don't think that people are real warm and fuzzy or overwhelmed about naming something after Dr. K. Speaking of renaming, is the Nelson Atkins Museum about to get a name change? A story in the Kansas City Star claims the museum is now reflecting on its association with William Rockhill Nelson just days after the newspaper removed his name and face from its masthead. The Star had argued that its founder helped lay the foundation for decades of racial segregation in Kansas City. Kansas City's best-known art museum opened in 1933 and was bankrolled in large part by Nelson's estate. But just because you're reflecting on a possible name change doesn't mean it's going to happen. Other than a star news story, what other pressure is there on the museum to make a change, Dave? Well, I think there may be some internal uh, pressure. I think we've discussed this, but um, if not, for your viewers, the star has removed William Rockhill Nelson's picture from what's called the masthead, which is sort of the identifying part of the editorial page. And a quote from him has also been removed. Uh, that grew out of our uh, project in uh, late 2020 about how we've covered 
issues of importance to the African-American community. So my guess is that the people involved with the uh, Nelson uh, Atkins Museum have raised this issue, and they'll discuss it internally. It would be difficult, uh, but not impossible to, uh, to change the name uh, of the museum that people, of course, in Kansas City have grown up with. Of all of the things that we could be changing in Kansas City, how high is this on the priority list, Eric? I would give it a nine out of a thousand. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's, and I don't think it's just necessarily uh, the Nelson. I think Atkins, if you go back and you look at his historical background in Kansas City, it's not really favorable either. Uh, he was part of those developers that drew the line and kept everybody of color on the other side of Truce Avenue. So I think the whole name would have to be changed. You just can't say, well, this is, we're going to change this, but we'll leave this the same. But, you know, people don't call me at the newspaper and say, hey, let's change the, ne the Atkins Nelson name more so than they do let's take that statue out from in front of city, uh, the courthouse, the Andrew Jackson statue out of, from in front of the courthouses. I get more calls about that than I do the Nelson Atkins Museum. But Peter, haven't we been conditioned for lots of change anyway? We, we had a, a thing called the J.C. Nichols Fountain. Uh, you know, this time last year, it, it no longer exists. It's only the fountain on the plaza. Uh, we had uh, Sprint Center and it's now T-Mobile Center. And I see even Johnson County Community College stripping the name of the Carlson Center now, and it's now the Midwest Trust uh, Center. So what difference would it make to our community if this institution were to change? Well, I, I think it creates outrage on, on both sides, right? The outrage of the name must be changed because of, um, you know, the history behind somebody and what they, you know, what they did that was not good versus the outrage of um, this doesn't change anything in anybody's lives. Uh, so what is the point, right? So it creates that kind of that, that lightning rod that's fun to talk about. But in the end, I mean, if the name gets changed, uh, nobody's life does change. So it, I think it's a great thing to talk about, you know, and, and have the back and forth on, but if we're talking about solutions uh, moving forward, it, it, it really doesn't, as far as I can tell, accomplish that. Hey, Karen, and Nick, just, just quickly, I, I, uh, Pete's absolutely right. No one's life is changed when you change the name of a fountain or a street, but the conversation can change lives. Talking about the full history of William Rock Hill Nelson and the full history of J.C. Nichols and the full history of Thomas Jefferson or George Washington. Those conversations are still important to have. The actual result of changing names uh, is probably not as important as that discussion, in my view. Kat? Oh, no, I, I completely agree with what Dave and Pete said, and uh, I think the conversations are important. I'm skeptical if we'll actually see a change there, though. And part of that is the fact that the Nelson Estate still brings about uh, $1.8 million a year to help fund programs at the Nelson. So there's a huge financial tie-in that still exists with that. Before we end our program, I wanted... Go on, Eric, did you want to say something? And I think the, the, the significant impact of a change would be if people start writing refund checks from all the benefits that they've received. You brought up a very good point. They get a lot of money through 
the foundations for the museums through those names. So if it's really serious, let's write some checks, refund some of that money back, and let's see how serious people really are about wanting to see a change. Before we end our program, I wanted to dip into our mailbag for all the remarkably impactful and political topics we discussed on last week's program. The story that prompted more feedback from our viewers than any other was our topic on whether Kansas City would go ahead with a victory parade if the Chiefs win back-to-back -back Super Bowls this year. Derek writes, I'd easily give up a parade for a guaranteed Chiefs Super Bowl win. Yolanda says Kansas City should be worrying about bigger problems. 176 people were savagely murdered in 2020, and the mayor spends time posting sunset pics on social media. 176 lives taken. Shame on the city. We also heard from the chief spokesman for the Kansas City Police Department, Sergeant Jake Bikina. He writes the decision of what type of celebration is held, if needed, is not one that we would make. But he wants all officers, he says, are prevented from taking vacation during that time. That is out of an abundance of caution, he says. If the events of the summer taught us anything, it's that when you need people, you need them now. And so we want to be prepared. Similarly, we did not allow any vacation time off around the election and this week around the inauguration. Dave Halling, you have also talked to the mayor and he says any celebration will look different this year. But what does that actually mean? Well, a couple of weeks ago, you're right, Quentin Lucas said, look, we're not going to, it's unlikely, is the way he put it, that we would have a parade as we know it. So my guess is something like we saw last night, by the way, in the inaugural, you know, a virtual celebration, uh, you know, with cameras and video and Zooms and all the stuff we've become accustomed to uh, if the chiefs go ahead and prevail. There'll be some sort of recognition of that or maybe a delayed parade. You might be able to do something later in the year that would be unofficial because the NFL wouldn't be happy with it. But there, the, the, obviously those discussions are underway. And Kat, you were actually part of the 41 Action News team that was covering the parade last year. I remember all of that, taking all of the social media feed information. Uh, but there's also, there's also talk about having a celebration at Arrowhead Stadium where there might be more space. Yeah, I do think we would see some sort of celebration with the players, but uh, not as many members of the public could be involved. Uh, I did. I was a little bit surprised to hear definitively this week, you know, it's not going to be a parade like last year. I thought that maybe there would still be something with people uh, required to mask up. But another thing I want to mention is that we could still see a lot of COVID cases if the Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl because people are going to gather at houses. They're going to have these informal parties for the Super Bowl. People start drinking. They take their masks off. They get a little, a little bit closer. So even if you don't have a parade, a Super Bowl still could be a COVID concern for Kansas City. Well, that could be happening every weekend. Take a look at this video footage. Here's what Kansas City looked like at a number of bars and restaurants. After last week's Chiefs game, Pete, there was not a lot of masks being worn or social distancing taking place, and there wasn't even a Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and that's going to happen again for the AFC Championship. And, you know, God willing, if when the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, it'll happen again uh, then. So it's it's a tough line to walk. I mean, these businesses are getting crushed, and this is a chance to kind of make some of that money up. So you feel for them on that front. There's obviously a safety concern there as well that has to be uh, – you know, has to be taken seriously. So it's it's a no win for for all sides of this, whether it's Lucas's side or, or the bar owner's side right now. And you, Eric Wesson, were emphatic last week that regardless, uh, Chiefs fans would celebrate, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, when I heard his announcement, I'm like, what a party pooper. I mean. <laughs> 
People are going to do it, whether they do it in a bar, doing it in their homes. People are going to celebrate that significant. And it kind of takes us away from the past year of all the drama that we've had with the COVID, the pandemic, and it'll give people something to relax and be happy about. So just look for an uptick because people are gonna be in the bars. You go by Westport, there was pictures of people over in Westport standing up against the, the glass because there were so many people there. People are gonna celebrate that. I want to end the show, but I'm looking at Dave Helling's face. You, you don't seem to be, find any humor in Eric's comments there. No, I I mean, I parades are great. Uh, you know, nobody should go to one and get sick. I mean, they, you know, we, we're still in the middle. In fact, the, one of the frustrating things, Nick, I think is the pandemic is worse now than it has ever been, ever. Uh, and uh, the idea of gathering uh, 500,000 people down along Grand uh, to celebrate what we all hope will be a big Super Bowl victory is probably uh, probably not a good one. Well, One of the first posts I saw was, we can't have a Super Bowl party, but the mayor can go to the inauguration. And people weren't socially distanced at the inauguration. So on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Checking in with us this week, uh, six to ten weekdays on KCMO Talk Radio. Pete Mundo from the investigation unit at 41 Action News, Cat Reed from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling, and on call at the Kansas City Call newspaper, Eric Wesson. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Keep calm and carry on.